Welcome to Writer's Radio. I'm Carol Harmon, your host for the fourth episode of our special series of readings from the anthology, Whiteness is Not an Ancestor, Essays on Life and Lineage by White Women. If you are new to this project, you may want to listen to the introductory episode, which is a podcast on the writersradio.ca website. In that program, our producer Ingrid Rose discusses the book with its editor, Lisa Iverson. This episode, Honoring the Past, features readings by Summer Starr and Sharon Halfnight. Both writers are dedicated agents of change. Summer, who lives in the Pacific Northwest in America, has worked internationally and at home to relieve poverty. In her essay, Whiteness in Colonial America, My Family's Legacy, Summer recounts discovering her astounding ancestral history, which dates back to the Puritans in New England. She is not who she thought she was, simply a daughter of Californians. Sharon, who lives in Vancouver, Canada, uses her skills as an architect to address issues of accessible housing and works within many community groups to raise awareness and bring about change. Her essay, White Walking, opens with her struggle. What does it mean to be a white woman in today's society? She goes on to discuss ways, both traditional and modern, different cultures celebrate and learn from the past. from Whiteness and Colonial America, My Family's Legacy by Summer Star. I honor the life I was given and the hard work of living that all of my ancestors took on to bring me the life I live today. But I feel this gratitude with the very raw and intertwined knowing the privilege of my life today came at the cost of so many other human and non-human beings. I have deep gratitude that I live in a time where we are waking up to the realities of our human history. It is not an easy awakening. To look at where we have been and where we are square in the face. But it gives me the opportunity to live more deeply into my values. And this opportunity, while not completely unique to this time, is definitely more available, more prevalent today than in the past. There are things that I see that my ancestors either were blind to or so indoctrinated into that it seemed there was no other way. This is a story of my ancestors' origins in America. It is my family's story but it is also the story of the founding of a country based on settler colonialism, puritanism, racism, and slavery. 
It is a story of how those things became tales of religious freedom and the American way. It is a story that founds the white privilege still live today. And it is a story of why those who live with the most privilege are unaware of both its existence and of its origins. It is also a story of my personal journey of learning to live in greater awareness and responsiveness to the realities of the world we have all inherited in hope for a better future for human and non-human beings. Growing up in the Northwest of the United States, I had a very simple family origin story. My parents were Californians who transplanted to Washington to live closer to nature. They bought a farm in the 1970s to get out of the rat race that was Southern California. I knew that my mom's parents were both connected to orange groves. Her maternal grandfather owned an orange grove and her paternal grandfather was a caretaker of a grove. I knew that my dad's parents had been real estate agents, but even stories of his grandparents were fuzzy, partially because his parents adopted him when they were already the age of most grandparents. So for most of my life, as far as I knew, we were just Californians. This lack of history put my focus on the now, on the immediate, and the past held very little interest for me. I was detached from the histories taught in school. My concept of family history was only a couple of generations back. That all changed the summer of 2019. Three things simultaneously unfolded for me that summer. The first was my father finding his birth family. All of a sudden, there was an entirely new family history available to me to explore. His origins were no longer filled with family rumor and supposition, but were fully revealed. The second was that I attended an herbalism course on ancestral healing, where I was blown open to the importance of truly placing myself in the larger history of my family, especially my mother line because of the significant influence of mitochondrial DNA on cellular memory. This led me to a mad ancestry.com quest to track both my mother's and my father's families back as far as I could go. And what emerged was a startling pattern going all the way back in every familial line. My mother's mothers and father's fathers all arrived in Massachusetts around the same time, about 1630, and were part of the Puritan movement there. And my mother's fathers and my father's mothers arrived in the Virginia colony between 1640 and 1700, and were part of the history of the slave trade there. I am the daughter of two Californians who had no idea of their family origins and yet their ancestries are mirror images of each other and are entwined with the complicated, often tragic narrative of the founding of this country. This feels significant to me, both the synchronicity and the fact that these origins had been lost in the conscious awareness of these families, just as they had been lost in the conscious awareness for so many white people. 
It is as if by coming together so potently in my family, the facts of this country's history are emerging to be witnessed by our combined lineages and to be reckoned with. White Walking My ancestral roots do not come from this land. I'm a transplant, a white woman born of British ancestors in a specific place and time, southern Ontario, a couple of years after World War II ended, into circumstances set by fate. Three of my grandparents came as immigrants to Canada. My Irish maternal grandfather's family came before Canada was a country, making me sixth or seventh generation through their lineage. My Canadian nationality gives me a recognizable passport to travel. It also gives me the freedom to move within Canada, to make my own way. I immigrated to Vancouver on the Pacific Northwest Coast by choice. This makes me our first generation to reside on Coast Salish land. My children and grandchildren have been born here. I am deeply grateful for this home. I know I live on the unceded ancestral territory of the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations. Whiteness came along with me and with my ancestors who brought their dreams for a better life, as well as invisible prejudices carried by their culture's whiteness largely religion-based, Methodist, Presbyterian, Anglican. Because my circumstances are white, it's as though I am a fish taking for granted the water I swim in, or a bird unaware of the surrounding air. I'm always in it, and it is always there. I know my perspective on whiteness to be both complex and entangled with privilege. Something beyond whiteness is walking with me. Something of which whiteness is one manifestation. Edge walking is how I am making sense of my experience. By edge walking I mean that I have observed and witnessed the world I'm in from a part in, part out place. I've been overwhelmed when staying open to all that is present. I've been allowed to come along in white places, accepted as a peripheral presence, tolerated, but not fully welcomed in. Part of me is in the whiteness and not of it, so claiming this double-edged reality cuts many ways. In working to write this essay, I've been watching for a through line to emerge, a navigable walking path within the minefield of whiteness. It's turning out to include a winding route through a cemetery, a garden, a circle, and a 1940s hospital surgery, each time walking with whiteness in quite different ways. fire and cradles. We are standing in a misty drizzle at Vancouver's Mountain View Cemetery for the closing event of 2019 All Souls Week, 
A small circle is gathered around an old repurposed oil drum, where a wood fire has been kindled within the garden area of Celebration Hall. There is a soft warmth radiating from this rusted drum. Flickering flames show through the design cut in its metal walls, letting air in and light out. Prayers on small papers, written by visitors and tucked into cradles that were hung in branches of a designated tree near the dry stream bed memorial, are acknowledged and released into the ceremonial fire. There is a respectful reverence here, a quiet holding within the group gathered, to send prayers on their way. It feels familiar to be standing in the quiet circle of women. I am grateful for the rich experiences that led to this evening. I found my way to this ceremony of fire after dark by listening and letting the voices guide me in. All Souls Week at Mountain View is a celebration with a sacred and multicultural feel that's been celebrated in our community every year from late October to early November since 2005. As the All Souls website describes, this unique cultural event offers the public an opportunity to remember their dead, whether interred at Mountain View Cemetery or not, in a gentle atmosphere of contemplative beauty. One aspect of the All Souls event is the cradle installation near the dry stream bed. During All Souls Week, the glow from candles within each cradle provides ritual space for those little ones to be made more visible and allow their families a place to grieve. This 2019 project had roots in 2006, when Vancouver artist Haruko Okano was commissioned and created the original set of six small cradles fashioned from Kozo paper and Willow Wise. By 2019, those six were no longer viable and needed to be replaced. When approached to fulfill a new commission, Haruko chose to invite others to contribute their efforts to make a new set of 11 cradles. I joined a mixed heritage group of younger and older ones to create the new set of cradles to be hung in the fruit tree by the dry stream bed at Mountain View. As one within that diverse group, I worked at making cradles, learned about willow and how to split the wise, shaped them into a frame, worked out how to make an individual pattern for a paper or fabric covering, and eventually discovered ways to attach the frame to cover and coat the finished decorated shell for weatherworthiness. Many conversations unfolded as we sat at a local community garden. We met, worked, and talked over a number of sessions that summer and fall. We shared food. Some talked about being women and about baby loss. We remembered. We worked. There were tales told of harrowing times when we were born. We spoke about how cradles carry us at the start of life and also at the end. Those conversations united us as we sat in the garden and worked out how to make the cradles. We got to know one another. Each time we worked, we drew cards from a provocative deck 
and the conversations the cards inspired opened up deeper human connections as we each spoke to how our cards topic touched our lives. The card deck had grown out of a collective project called Gesturing Towards Decolonial Futures that some of the younger ones in our group, students at the University of British Columbia, had been involved with. The deck, entitled With Slash Out Modernity, offers questions and invitations related to effective and relational work within and gesturing out of modernity. The deck's 55 cards voice many complex challenge, opportunity phrases. Hardish questions, random invitations, fragility questions, long-haul questions, without modernity questions, calls to responsibility. In the deck instructions for use, the Joker card asks, how can we be taught by and at the limits of modernity within us? Including whiteness within modernity as it is used in the deck, begins to loosen the stranglehold in my heart when I hear whiteness called out in very general terms. It provides an oblique way to come at the underlying issues. When I look back at those shared experiences emerging from the deck conversations, I see that the cards provided a way to inquire into modernity, whiteness, and all that colonialization has driven forward. The deck had been developed to explore and initiate hard-to-have conversations, including but not limited to the encoded, invisible biases that enter when whiteness is not questioned, examined, or called to account. The insights gleaned from this sequence of experiences, from cradle project to ceremonial fire, seemed to have a life of their own. I felt gathered in. I listened, contributed, shared, and learned. My world expanded and a bigger circle of life was drawn. Individual privilege was gathered together. Community resources were pooled. A garden place given. All were included, even whiteness. These events grew out of initiatives by women, coming from diverse lineages, standing on a firm footing. Each brought enough privilege and determination to take part and contribute what was needed and what was asked. We walk together in a good way. The fire we gathered around at Mountain View did not happen because of the Cradle Project. The fire was an expression of the elemental reality of life. In the words of Gaston Bachelard, if all that changes slowly may be explained by life, all that changes quickly is explained by fire. The fire represented timeless reality clearing the way for needed change to emerge. To release prayers into the fire at Sawang, the first day of November, when the veils between the worlds are said to be thinnest, resonates with festivals of the ancient Celts of my ancestral roots. I feel the presence of a whole supportive ancestor guiding me to these connections beyond whiteness and modernity. The shared act of making cradles and meeting on ground that was carved out by our human hearts, created
created a rich common territory beyond whiteness. These spaces were not defined by colonial ideas or limitations of whiteness. They were supported by privilege. Privilege used well, held together by individuals and organizations. The fire and the cauldron fulfilled their ancient roles. Part of my soul found a place to land through this time and this ritual of honoring and release. You have been listening to Summer Star reading from Whiteness in Colonial America by Family's Legacy and Sharon Halfnight reading from White Walking. Both essays are from the anthology edited by Lisa Iverson, Whiteness is Not an Ancestor, Essays on Life and Lineage by White Women. The book is widely available in the U.S. through bookstores and online vendors and in Canada from Banyan Books in Vancouver and Chapters Indigo. Writers Radio is produced by Ingrid Rose, Carol Harmon, and Gary Sill, who also composes the original music. We are grateful to be able to produce this program on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Thanks for listening.